to address the, as what I describe, the trilogy of sermons in regards to um, looking at different things and how we can look at our lives and examine our lives. And so we looked at, if you remember, we looked at um, what is a Christian. So we looked at what it means, you know, to be a Christian, what, what that looks like, how the Bible outlines our Christianity. But we also looked at last week, am I a Christian? And so I want you to think of it. We're looking at it in terms of, all right, I need to know what a Christian is. Then I want to know if I'm a Christian or not. And this week, we're examining, all right, since I am a Christian, let me take inventory of my life. Let me take inventory of, of who I am and where I stand with God. And so the title of today's sermon is, Is It Me? Examine Yourself. And so we're going to look at a very familiar passage, but I hope at the end of this, this sermon that we will all, you know, find the desire to take inventory of our own lives and see where we stand with Christ, see what are the areas that we need him to excavate and and open up and change. So we're going to be looking at Matthew 26, and we're going to be in verse 20. Matthew 26, starting at verse 20. It says, When it was evening, he reclined at table with the twelve. And as they were eating, he said, Truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, Is it I, Lord? He answered, He who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The Son of Man goes as it is written of him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Judas, who would betray him, answered, Is it I, Rabbi? He said to him, You have said so. When I was growing up, my favorite type of quiz was the one that the teacher would give and then would say to us, All right, now check your own paper. Those words were like hunted to my ears. Because if I didn't know anything else, one thing I did know is I never failed a quiz that I graded myself. I never made a D on a quiz that I graded myself. And so, of course, you know, as a teacher would read out the answers, I would occasionally not mark one answer as wrong that I knew was wrong, or I would really quickly change one that maybe said a C that was supposed to be an A. And I mean, I wasn't stupid. If I'm going to be examining and grading this for myself, well, I'm not going to fail something that I'm grading. And so I took full advantage of it. But, you know, the reality is, is that we didn't get self-graded exams quite that often. Because I think in the back of the teacher's mind, they knew that if you did that quite often, you wouldn't get reliable results. Probably wasn't a good idea because middle schoolers didn't have the best integrity. So when we see a sermon here called Examine Yourself, I think we may think that this is probably like that exam. Oh, I understand what the grades are supposed to be, but I'm examining myself, so I'm going to change a little bit here, fudge a little bit here, maybe correct an answer that's supposed to be one thing, but that's, it's a little different. In our passage for today, we are looking at the Last Supper that Jesus had with his disciples when he tells them 
that one of them will betray him. Now, this is, again, one of those passages that we feel like, all right, I've heard this before. I know all about this. Judas betrays Jesus. There's nothing more that can be added to it. We know it. Let's just move on. But I want you to see, though, that there is an interesting process that happens here. Jesus is sitting here and he already knows. He already knows that Judas will actually be the one that betrays him. He knows that it's going to be Judas who hands him over to the Romans who are going to crucify him. Jesus has all the answers. And you know what? His disciples knew that about him. This is not like, you know, the Sopranos where the mob boss is sitting around and says um, to all the people sitting, one of you is a rat. He makes that statement because he doesn't know which one of them is the rat. No, when Jesus says that one of you will betray me, he says that because he already knows who it is. How? Well, because he's God. He is God in the flesh. He is all-knowing. So what does that tell us? Well, it very quickly brings us to our first point of the day. Jesus is the judge. Quite simply, Jesus is the judge. As we think about how we examine ourselves, we must ask the question that only Jesus can answer. Lord, is it me? Have any of us ever been in that situation where you've had problem after problem with person after person and you just have to ask, you know, is it me? Am I the problem? The way that we live and the manner of our lives is reflective of what we believe to be true about Jesus. Every one of the disciples knew that it didn't matter whether they felt like they were the person who would betray him or not. It didn't matter. The only thing that mattered was what he said regarding them. Why? Because he was the judge. Judges don't judge based off feeling. They judge based off truth. Absolute truth at that, which means there is a standard by which they are judging everyone. So it doesn't matter if I feel like I'm doing right. If Jesus says I'm doing wrong, my feelings are irrelevant when it comes to truth. Why is it, though, that Jesus gets to be the judge of our lives? Why is it that we can't be the ones who judge our own selves? Well, it's all about the position that Jesus has, right? When Jesus gives his life for ours, if we accept that offering, then that now gives him first rights over our lives. But you see, he's also God. He's supreme to us. What allows us to tell our children what to do and not other children is that other children don't belong to us. They didn't come from us. They don't live in a house with us. But because we birthed our children, because we gave them life and we give them shelter, that also means that we decide how they should live and the expectations we have for them in the lives that they live. Elliot cleans his room like every day, and I always count going in and tell him, hey, go ahead and clean your room. This is something regular for him. And it doesn't matter, no matter how many times he cleans that room, every single time he gets done, he will come to me and say, Daddy, is my room clean? Why does he ask that? Doesn't he know what clean is? Well, yeah, he does. 
But the thing about it is, is that he also knows that no matter how clean he feels like it is, I'm the one who has to judge whether or not it's clean. And so he may feel I got a different standard of clean, but ultimately it's irrelevant what my standard is if the person who has provided him the house and provided him the room says that he has a different standard of clean. That means that I am the rightful judge over whether or not that room is clean. So that means in examining his work himself, he goes to the person who he feels has the right to judge it. Now, the disciples did the same thing here in our passage. When they say, Lord, is it I? They know that their judgment will be in the hands of Jesus. And their first thought is that they should check with him. But, you know, for us, this is rather difficult to conceptualize because by acknowledging that there is a judge outside of ourselves, we are also acknowledging that we're not the judge. By acknowledging that there is a judge who will render a judgment on our lives, we are also acknowledging that I'm not in control of my life. And I don't know about y'all, but I can tell you by myself, I won't control. In fact, all I really want over my life is control of my life. We want to be the ones who decide whether or not it's appropriate for us to like a certain person. We want to be the ones who decide whether or not um, it's the right time to do a certain thing. And so we tend to isolate ourselves from others who will hold us accountable or we typically only surround ourselves with people who always agree with what we do. But when this happens, the unfortunate reality is that we are not getting a fair assessment of who we really are. I like the way Proverbs 16 and 2 says this. It says that all the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. The word of wisdom is seen on multiple occasions here in Proverbs. At one point, it even says that the fool always thinks that his ways are right. In other words, none of us are able to accurately judge where we are in our lives and in Christ using our own measurements. Because in our eyes, we make every right decision Every shite and sharp and idle word we use is always justified. We can get away with certain things in our lives because, you know, our lives were a little bit harder than other people. You know, you didn't know the background and the upbringing I had. My family was a little bit dysfunctional. So I can get away with doing some of that stuff. Whenever it comes to us, we will always measure with different weights than we measure with everybody else. When you see Jesus confronting the Pharisees, there is no group that he confronted more than hypocrites. Because ultimately, they were holding other people to a standard of the law that they were refusing to meet themselves. Why? Because they measure different weights for different people. You're not me, so, you know, really, I should be off the hook. I'll never forget, this was kind of my theme of life when I, was, when I got to college. I'm a rather charming person, you know, and so 
I always try to get over with people with my charm and my eloquent words. And, you know, I got into Sanford and I was doing terribly. And I was about to FL class. It means I was going to um, fail because I had been late more than three times. And, you know, I talked to the professor. She's like, Brandy, if you're late again, you're going to FA. Like, it doesn't matter. You're great. And I was like, let me talk to the dean. I'll, I'll get over on the dean. So I go in there. I'm talking to the dean. I'm like, I'm, I'm using all my words. You know, I'm, I'm jive talking. I was like, listen, you know, all these other kids, see, they don't work. I have to work. You know, I'm working this job. I was like, and I work 45 minutes away from, from where I live. I was like, and you know, I drive here. Every morning, I don't even stay on campus because, you know, I had to save a little money because I'm not as fortunate as these other students, you know. I said, so, and I'm not getting home till like 10 o'clock. I'm doing work late, which, I, by the way, I wasn't really doing work late. I just said that. I was like, and then I have to get here at 8 a.m. Of course I'm late, but I'm only like 10 minutes late. And I'm thinking, I got her. Like, she going she gonna to be like, Brandon, don't you worry about it. And she says, well, Brandon, I have a story for you. And anytime somebody tells you that after you go on the spill, they're finna just completely cut you off at your knees. She said, I just, I just want to tell you. She said, that story may have worked for anybody else except for this. She said, my son currently works two hours away from where he lives. And then I'll never forget, she leaned up in the chair. She said, my only advice to you, get up earlier. And what I realized in that moment is that this lady, this school, had a standard of expectation that they were not going to change because of me. It's like, well, who do you think you are that you're the exception? If we hold everybody else to this same standard, you think we're going to lower that for you? No. Either you meet the standard or what? You leave. And you know what it forced me to do? Her holding me accountable forced me to change. It forced me to come up to that standard that she expected of me. For the most part, most of us, when we do things, we want people to excuse our behavior. We don't want them to hold us to a certain standard. Certainly, we don't want them to hold us to the standard of the word of God. We want to pretend like that petty comment was done unintentionally. We want to pretend like that vindictive action was actually um, sincere and we didn't really intend to do it or offend for the most part whenever you ask someone who did something offensive did you mean to do that did you mean to say that they respond no of course I didn't that's not how I meant it at all and for God's sakes let us never tell anyone to look into their heart or find it in their heart because the only thing we will ever find in our heart is deceit. If we want to know that the, what the words or the actions that we have, if they're actually pure or not, then we need to look not to ourselves but to Christ. He is the one who is using properly weighted scales. It doesn't matter how you felt when you think you said it. It matters about what you meant. In our house, we have a digital scale, and everybody in the house except for one person um, gets on it quite often, just throwing it out there. And we all like to get on it and see what our weight is. Well, one day I got on it, and I was five pounds lighter than I knew I was supposed to be, and I realized quickly, you know what, something's not right with the scale because I know I'm not this light. And so I moved it, and there's a way you can pick it up, and it recalibrates. And when I did that, I got the right weight. 
And it was then that I realized that, you know, sometimes, even though I got a weight that was a little bit lighter than I was, as good as it may have looked, it wasn't accurate. It wasn't true. It was improperly weighted. There are times in our own lives when we simply fail to use the proper scale for our own life. When we trust God to judge our lives, then we will actually know where we stand in him and with him. When we trust God to judge our lives, we will know who we really are in him. David in the Psalms doesn't say that he will search his own heart. He asks God, he says, search me, O God. And he says, is there anything that you find? Take it out. So when trying to look at our lives, we need to look to Jesus as the true judge. But we also must do like the disciples did, which is our second point. We must recognize our own shortcomings. We must recognize our own shortcomings. This one is really difficult. This is difficult for me. Every single one of them knew that they had in themselves the ability to betray Jesus. Did you see it? They all began to say to him, are you talking about me, Lord? Listen, anyone who knows that there is no case in which they would do that wouldn't say, wait, could this be me? If, if someone said, hey, somebody in this in this church is going to go to the store and steal a bunch of bananas and eat them, I would say, that ain't me, because I don't like bananas. I don't eat them. So I know whoever you're talking about may be somebody else, but it's not me. I don't eat them. But if you said someone would break into a Tyson chicken factory and then they would eat all the chicken out of there, then I would say, Lord, you know what? That might be me. That just might be me. See, Though it may have been difficult for them to conceptualize, every one of the disciples had thought about defecting. Every one of them had thought at one point about leaving the faith. They all at some point must have even questioned, is Jesus really even legitimate? And so when he says they know that he is all-knowing, he is the all-knowing God who is able to weigh out where their hearts actually are. There is no hiding who we are from Christ. So why should we be willing to expose our hearts and shortcomings and vulnerabilities before the Lord? See, the reason most of us try to protect ourselves from being true about who we are, especially in the eyes of God, is because we think that that exposure will bring judgment. But what if I told you that that exposure doesn't bring judgment, but it brings grace? When we expose our hearts and our shortcomings and our vulnerabilities before the Lord, there is grace there. This is one of those things that I've seen come up in marriages and in relationships where there is one individual who, who may be waning. There's one individual who has checked out of the marriage emotionally. And at some point, the spouse notices and says, hey, is everything OK? Are you all right? And they, knowing that they aren't actually all right, will say, yeah, I'm good. Why does that happen? Because they don't want to open their heart and expose themselves. They don't want to show that they actually are discontented, that they actually are aggravated, that they are frustrated, because they don't expect that they're going to get any grace if they do that. They just expect judgment. 
The reason why we don't grow as believers, y'all, is because too many of us think that hiding where we fall short will protect us. But I am a living witness. Hiding where you fall short doesn't protect you. It stunts your growth. It stops you from being able to grow. Think about some of the things that Job said to God. Think about some of the things that David said in the Psalms. It's inflammatory. It's even a little hard to read. How could they be so honest, so brutally raw before God? Because they knew that God knew that whatever they felt, he knew it was in their heart in the first place. But they also trusted that he would meet their shortcomings with grace and strengthen them there and meet them where they'd fallen short. The first thing Adam and Eve did in their sin is hide. Instead of bearing their nakedness before God, they tried to cover it up. Peter made the mistake of trying to disguise himself when Jesus said to him that you're going to deny me. He said that he would never do such a thing. See, in that moment, he wanted to shield his relationship from the reality of what he was actually feeling in his heart. But we grow in our vulnerability. We grow because we invite the Lord to come in and excavate our lives. We look at ourselves with the word of God as a mirror that reveals who we really are. We are commanded, by the way, to examine ourselves. And when we don't, we just don't grow. This is what Jesus says in John 15 and 2. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. God causes growth in us by cutting us down. He prunes us, though, so that we may bear more fruit. That means that by trying to ignore where we fall short, where we have sin, where we lack faith, we are actually preventing pruning from happening in our lives, thus preventing ourselves from bearing more fruit. We don't need to have the arrogance that says in a sermon, oh, so-and-so should be here at church today. This sermon is just for them. No, we need to say to ourselves, Lord, is this me at all? When we open up the word of God and it describes certain sins and the behaviors of certain people, we should look at this and say, Lord, oh, no, this is definitely no. We should say, Lord, is this me? Is it me? So we understand that Jesus is our ultimate judge and we have to understand our shortcomings. But thirdly and finally, we need to understand that we need accountability partners. We need accountability partners. Even in the midst of the disciples questioning, they were here among a group of people that they built community with. They've been called to hold each other accountable according to all that Jesus said and did, and that would only heighten once they were without him. 
The reason many of us fail to properly examine and assess ourselves is because we are either not surrounding ourselves with honest believers who will hold us accountable or we are unwilling to build community with the people who are around us and who will hold us accountable. It is natural for us to be drawn to the people who will only tell us what we want to hear. Yes, men. It is natural for us to go to church and go home, not building community with other believers who will hold us accountable to what we know and believe. People who hold you accountable, you know what they are? They're annoying. People who hold you accountable are annoying. But you know what else they are? They're necessary. They see our blind spots. What does the Bible say? The Bible tells us that the wounds of a friend are faithful. Now, when we hear something like that, we don't don't understand what that means, but let me give you an image. If you've ever watched a boxing match, I think even if you've definitely seen Rocky, there's this moment where you get hit so many times in the eye that the eye gets swollen. And what does he say in the movie? Cut me. Why does he say that? Because he has a wound that needs more wounding to be healed. He has a blind spot that he needs to be cut by a friend in order to heal. He wounds him so that he can get better and grow. God wants us to surround ourselves with faithful believers who will wound us when we think too much of ourselves, who will wound us when we get too hard and too high, who will wound us when we think that we got somewhere by ourselves, who will hold us accountable to the word of God. I can tell you all like this. Nobody wounds me more than my sweet wife. You know, she wounded me real bad recently, y'all. This is the other day. I usually get done with these sermons, you know, Thursday or so, so sometimes stuff happens. I go back and add stuff in, so... You know, I, you know, I was walking around the house the other night, and, you know, I'm like, you know, I work out a lot, so I typically walk around shirtless, good show for everybody, like, you know, giving the kids something to aspire to, all that. So I'm just walking around, just enjoying my little life, and Christy goes, out of nowhere, where are your abs? <laughs> and I go, they're under there. They're there. They're under there somewhere. <laughs> and she goes, well, you need to do better. I said, I just don't do abs that much. She said, well, all that chest, all them arms, they ain't got no abs. What a shame. I just want y'all to know, that next day at the gym, I ran two miles, and I did abs like a madman. Sometimes those wounds feel like they cut a little bit deeper than others, but ultimately, we get wounded so that we can get better, be better, and do better. We are commanded in the Bible to confess our sins one to another. Now think about how ridiculous of a request that really is. Confess our sins in a social media world that only gives the best snapshot of our lives. You want me to go to somebody and tell them I'm struggling with sin in my life? Why would I do that? And you know how we are. Especially we, us, our people. We don't want folks in our business. Y'all know what we say. 
what happens in this house stays in this house. (laughs) But it is actually that type of mentality that prevents us from having other people who will tell us, you know, there are some things that are not right. It prevents someone with some wisdom from telling us, you know what, I went through that same thing in my house. Let me tell you how we got through it. You know, God gives us the church because we're not adequate on our own. He gives us limits on our abilities and our margins so that we can depend on the people around us. So let me ask you this. I'm closing. How often are you examining yourself? How often are you going to other believers and saying, hey, I've been really struggling with this. I've been really having this going on. How often do you open that door to other believers and trust that they're not going to meet you with judgment there, but that they're going to meet you with grace? You know, one of my favorite scriptures when I was teaching people like Anthony, his class would always say, you say every scripture is your favorite scripture. Well, that is true, except the ones that really did with me. But one of my favorite ones is the one that says, if there's a brother who is in a fault, who is in a sin, you who are spiritual, pray for him. But it doesn't just say pray for him, restore him. Someone who has fallen, someone who has sinned, someone who has gone off the course. It says, you who are spiritual, pray for them and restore them. Don't talk about them unless you also be tempted. God gives us a community of believers so that we can see his grace in a tangible and real way. How often are you examining yourself? How are you inviting God's judgment in your life so that you can grow? How are you looking at the word of God and asking God, search me, O God. Excavate my life. And how are you relying in your life on faithful brothers and sisters in Christ to hold you accountable? The only way we grow is that we must invite the judgment of God. And it's uncomfortable. It's vulnerable. Sometimes it's downright ugly. But I think all of us, if we would be honest about it, we have experienced the most growth in our relationship through some of our worst behavior. And if it hadn't been for the grace of God, we wouldn't have gotten through it. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that you have given us the word of God. Lord, it is sharper than any two-edged sword. God, it divides, it 
separates. It reveals the intents of our heart. Lord, it is so easy for us to be self-deceived. God, it is so easy for us to only see our ways and our thoughts and our actions and our words as pure, as right. But Lord, we might be measuring ourselves using the wrong scales. God, let us not hold others to a standard that we ourselves are failing to meet. But let us all know that, God, you will judge us. But, God, you told us that if we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us. That means, God, even if I am harboring some secret sin that nobody knows about, I can bear that sin before you. I can be open with you about it and be vulnerable to you about it. And you will meet me with grace. And you will cause me to repent and turn from my sin. God, all of us are improper judges of ourselves. We are biased towards ourselves. But Lord, we ask that you would help us invite the word of God into our lives. God, that we would develop a community of believers around us who won't just tell us what we want to hear, who won't just tell us what sounds good, but who will hold us accountable to the truth. People who will annoy us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody in this room who is living their life in this constant state of sin, hiding it from loved ones, hiding it from friends, hiding it from co-workers, hiding it from classmates, God, that this would be the day that you let them know that they don't have to live under the pressure of hiding secret sins any longer, but they can bear those sins before you and that the, the cross of Christ is effective to take away their sins. That you hung on that cross to bear our public sins and our private sins. And you are faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, we thank you for this word. Let us ask ourselves, is it me? Let us excavate our lives using the word of God. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.